Well, this morning is a perfect day for our guest speaker. Um, Becca Skane grew up in this local church. She grew up in this church. She was nurtured in her faith in this church. Um, God has really worked in her life powerfully. And now Becca currently is leading our young adult group on Sundays at 6 p.m. And I would invite any young adult who would like to be part of that group. They are meeting on Sunday evenings. And she now is sensing the call of God in her life to InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And she's going to share some of that today. She's going to share a message about reaching young adults, the burden that burns in her heart today. But today was a perfect day because today I want you to know this young woman who is called of God, who God is shaping and forming and using her in new ways. And, um, and she is a product of this congregation. And so, Becca, why don't you come this morning? Let's welcome Becca Skane today. We're just going to make sure she's wired up right here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so humbled to have the opportunity to share with you all today, to share with my church family and um, as Pastor Jeff mentioned, I work with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at UNH in Durham, and I'm currently wrapping up the first year of my Master's of Social Work program. And I got involved with the campus ministry up at UNH Durham during my freshman year of college. Um, and at the end of my freshman year, I had a staff worker come up to me and say, would you be interested in leading a Bible study next year? Um, and I told him maybe and that I would think about it, and in my words, that was absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, in a series of events where God changed my heart and my passions, I ended up at UNH's Manchester campus, um, where they needed a Bible study leader and somebody to run student outreach. Um, and as I watched the Lord grow that chapter, and he grew me, um, I started to develop a passion to tell other students, come and see this God. Um, and when I graduated, I started thinking about starting my master's program, and I accepted a job opportunity within InterVarsity. Um, so I'm excited to just share a little bit about that with you today, a little bit of my experience in the grad program, and how the Lord has been speaking to me in this season, um, and meeting me in my own questions and some questions that I've been reflecting on in this past academic year um, as a student and as a campus ministry intern. Um, so up on the screen, you'll see some pictures from UNH. Um, the image on the right-hand side there is from my graduation last spring. Uh, for anybody has, who has seen that statue, it feels a lot bigger from the top of it. Um, but I just wanted to give you a little bit of a picture of the campus. Um, it's, a, it's a massive campus. There's over 13,000 students there. And the vast majority of our first-year students live on campus, which means there's tons of young adults looking for community and a sense of belonging as they move into a new season in their lives. Um, so I work with the undergraduate chapter there, um, which is really sweet to me because, as I mentioned, I really came into my faith when I got connected with Crew as a freshman there. Um, and I had a lot of questions walking around that campus at 18 years old, questions I wasn't sure that there were answers to. Um, and I was holding a lot of uncertainty and wasn't really sure of where I could go to talk about them. 
Um, and when I found Christian community on campus, I found a place with people who would sit and listen to my questions. They would explore them with me. They would pray with me. And there are a lot of students on campus who don't have that place where they can be vulnerable and ask their questions and share their uncertainty. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the ways that InterVarsity provides that space for students. So research shows us that 80% of students are interested in spirituality, yet the number of students with any religious affiliation, um, they're not affiliated with any religious groups, has tripled in the last 30 years. And as I was reflecting on this, I was wondering why there's such a stark dichotomy between student interest and student engagement in religious programming. So I'm gonna talk a little bit more about InterVarsity later, but I think it's really important to paint you a picture of this reality that our young adults are living in, that we're all living in as we walk through today's times. Um, so we've all been navigating this COVID pandemic for the last couple of years, um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about another pandemic, one of uncertainty. And uncertainty, if left unaddressed in a world that's filled with instability and that's ever-changing, can lead to hopelessness. Our world places increasingly demanding expectations on young adults for performance and perfection, and we're seeing one of the world's most anxious and depressed generations of all times. We're seeing half of the youth that grow up in the church walk away from their faith by the time they're 30 years old. And when I think about these statistics, as someone who works with, loves, and is a 20-something, I feel heavy. But I also feel hope, because at 18, I wasn't regularly attending church. I hadn't been into a church in a couple of years. I wasn't engaging in relationship with Jesus, but we serve a God who relentlessly pursues his children. And if more than three quarters of college students are interested in spirituality, then the fields are ripe for the harvest and young adults are longing for and seeking supportive community. And as a campus ministry, that's what InterVarsity seeks to provide. We seek to be a community that is an anchor for students in the midst of a changing world with questions and doubts where they can address their hopelessness in these uncertain days. So we mentioned earlier that hopelessness can lead to uncertainty and hopelessness if left untreated can even cultivate skepticism. And there have been some moments in my life where hopelessness weighed really heavy and I became skeptical that any good thing could come my way. So I wanted to think, us to think about skepticism a little bit together today. So what are you skeptical about? I think we tend to give skeptics a lot of grief, um, but I think we're all skeptical about something. Um, in fact, when I was thinking about this, I thought about when I get a call on my cell phone and I don't recognize the number. 95% of the time, I would say I send it right to voicemail because I believe that it could be somebody calling to check in about my expired car warranty or letting me know I want a vacation for a drawing that I didn't enter. Um, so I deny the call. Um, but there are other areas in my life where I'm skeptical too. And I ask myself where I'm skeptical when it comes to my own relationship with the Lord. Where are the places that I question that he can bring the breakthrough that I need? And why do I try to compensate for my skepticism by having plan B, C, and D lined up when the Lord's plan is plan A? So as we reflect on that, um, I wanna talk a little bit about a particular skeptic in our time together and share the ways that Jesus meets us in our uncertainty the ways that he's met me in my skepticism and reminded me that we serve a God who still moves mountains even today. So we're gonna to look together to John 1. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. 
Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. So that's the word of the Lord for us. Um, And Stephen Holtgren, a theological scholar, talks a little bit about Nathaniel's reaction here. And he identifies it like this. He says that Nathaniel's initial attitude towards Jesus is based on his preconceptions and his contempt for Nazareth, from which he thinks nothing good can come. However, his actual experience of Jesus changes his mind. But in order to experience Jesus, Philip needed to invite Nathaniel. So Philip, instead of being offended by Nathaniel's skepticism, extends an invitation. He doesn't argue with him or leave him to find his own way to Jesus. But before that invitation could even become a possibility, Nathaniel and Philip needed to have a relationship where trust was developed. And we see here that Nathaniel trusts Philip enough to be curious, even though he was skeptical about the integrity of his claims. And this makes me ask myself this question. How can we encourage curiosity through relationship? Up on the screen, you're gonna see InterVarsity's five thresholds or steps that non-Christians commonly go through on their journey towards faith. These come from an InterVarsity prep book called I Once Was Lost by Doug Shoup and Don Everts. I would definitely recommend the book. It's a quick read and there's a lot of great insights in here um, for having spiritual conversations and supporting friends and 20-somethings and family members at any life stage on their journey of faith. Um, So these steps were developed through research with a multi-ethnic and diverse group of individuals in the 90s. And these five thresholds include trust, curious, open, seeking, and follower. And we're gonna look closely at the trust threshold together. We don't have time to walk through all of them today. Um, But like I said, if you pick up the book and read through it, um, it's very insightful. So let's talk a little bit about trust. Trust has been defined as relying on the truthfulness or accuracy of something or someone. And the authors of the book state that trust requires genuine friendship. And I think Jesus does this exceptionally well. And there's a lot that we can learn from watching how he engaged with people, especially people who were skeptical and had doubts. We see that Jesus leaned in towards people. And I don't know about you, but a lot of the time when my encounters with skepticism or um, strong opinions come up, my knee-jerk reaction is to get defensive or pull away because I feel offended or I'm uncomfortable. And that's not the way that we see Jesus engage with skeptics and sinners. The authors note that one of the most obvious outcomes of the way that Jesus interacted with people is that they were comfortable around him, even drawn to him, especially those who were lost. 
And this statement makes me stop and, and reflect on those moments when I'm not posturing myself in a way that draws anyone closer to me, and I'm definitely not drawing them closer to Jesus. I remember when I first started in my grad program, feeling really frustrated with my colleagues after a difficult day of conversations in the classroom. And I remember sharing my woes with the Lord and him responding to me, I weep for your colleagues. And his compassion rivaled my frustration as he continued to genuinely and gently correct my vision for them. Later in the book of John, we see Jesus encounter another person who is skeptical of who he is. So I want us to look at how he conducts himself with her. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking to her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now we see here that just like Nathaniel, this woman questions why Jesus would even attempt to have a conversation with her. She's pretty skeptical. But we see that Jesus encounters that skepticism with compassion. He tells the woman who she is. She not only continues in conversation with him, but she then goes and shares who Jesus is with everyone who would listen to her. And we're told later in the passage that many came to believe because Jesus met her in her skepticism with grace and with truth. Now, both this woman in the passage and Nathaniel started with skepticism, and we live in a culture of distrust. So it's not productive to be offended or surprised when we encounter it. It's important that we reflect on how we can meet others in their distrust, as we see Jesus do. And I believe that he still does that today. Meeting others in their distrust is something the Lord has been teaching me in this season. During my first semester of grad school, I had the opportunity to facilitate an article discussion on the Great Commission. Now, there were a lot of strong opinions and feelings of hurt and oppression that came up from my colleagues as they shared with me. And as weighty as those statements felt as they came towards me, I was able to pray and ask the Lord to not allow me to push my own agenda, but to be present with my colleagues and to give them space to process their distrust. And instead of arguing, I was able to invite them to reflect and this softened the environment and fostered spaces of curiosity. And throughout the semester, I've been able to have the opportunity to share more with them about ministry, to have them come to me and ask, so what do you do with students? And that has been an opportunity that I recognize if I had continued to sit with my offended feelings and frustration, I may not have had that space to share with my colleagues and to build deeper, more intentional relationships with them. Andy Stanley once said that telling someone they are wrong is not the same as leading or inspiring them to do what is right. And I think modeling is a powerful tool. There have been some tense moments in the classroom this semester, as I mentioned, where I've had to sit in front of the class and hold to my convictions. And there were moments that I was terrified. However, after those conversations, I've had several colleagues come up to me and thank me for remaining true to my values for being bold enough to share with them and be honest. They shared that they respected it and they wondered how I was able to do it. And it so encouraged me to see their curiosity 
And that curiosity has opened doors to conversations to share with them why I stand in that position. I believe we need to model what is right for young people. Our college students need people in their lives who will do more than tell them what they're doing wrong. They need people who will be present with them, loving them where they are and trusting the Lord to grow them while setting an example. In the story of Philip and Nathaniel, we see that Philip seeks out Nathaniel to share the news with him. He doesn't wait for Nathaniel to come to him, but Philip had to enter Nathaniel's space by seeking him out in order to share the good news. And by providing campus ministry staff, we move Jesus into the campus community of our students. This increases their chance of encountering somebody, a staff or a student, who will share the good news of the gospel with them. I had a student I was working with this past semester who came into her discipleship meeting so excited to share with me about a realization she'd had over the weekend. She told me that she realized that she could go to a party that her uh, dorm friend had invited her to and just be present with her friend there. She was able to sit and have conversations with students that she otherwise wouldn't encounter in another space. She told me, I realized I didn't have to engage in those behaviors at the party, but that I could sit and be present with the students there. And I think for this student, she is taking those steps to build a foundation of trust with these friends that she otherwise wouldn't have relationships with if she was afraid to go into those spaces where they are. Her taking those steps into an environment that she was a little hesitant to walk into opens the door to spiritual conversations through their experience of the love of Christ dwelling within her. As she gets to know them, the hope and the prayer is that she continues to develop trust that cultivates a space and a foundational relationship where vulnerability is welcome and her new friends feel that their doubts and their uncertainties can be explored with her. And I think we all doubt at one point or another. The loss of a job or a loved one, a pandemic that seems to endlessly impact our sense of normalcy, humanitarian crises and racial inequality. And Max Lucado puts it this way. He says, doubters are all people some of the time, and some people all of the time. He goes on to say that Jesus doesn't balk at our lack of belief, our doubts, or our questions. And we should model that for those we have the privilege to walk alongside. We can be bold in leaning into uncomfortable questions to help people confront their unbelief head on. I think we can ask ourselves the question this way. And it's one that I've been asking myself during my time on staff and in my graduate program. How can we empathize with the doubts and questions of 20-somethings to compassionately meet them on their way to the one who can meet them there? Now, I think Jesus gives us the answer with his actions, just as we talked about earlier. He leaned in towards people, and we can do the same. In the book of Matthew, we see Jesus literally lean in to catch Peter in his doubt. In Matthew 14, it says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. 
Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Did you notice what Jesus did here? He doesn't let Peter drown in the water, nor in his doubt. He reaches out and he grabs Peter's hand. And I believe here that the tone of Jesus is compassionate, likely even saddened. He so desperately wants him to believe. I have a student that I work with on campus who comes every week. She grew up in the church and is navigating what it means for her faith to be her own. As she comes, she brings her doubts and her questions. She's very skeptical of the experiences that she's had and the things that she's been told. But she shows up every week and she asks her questions and she's genuinely curious. And that space is available to her where we can explore her questions with her. And I know for a fact that Jesus will not let her drown in her doubt either. He is present with her right in the midst of her questions and her doubts and her skepticism. Don and Doug, the authors of I Once Was Lost, say this is because Jesus knows how to be present with people. He takes time to listen for the deeper need. I don't like to admit it, but there are times when I struggle to be truly present with people because I have a running to-do list in my head of everything that needs to get done, or I'm thinking about where I need to be next. But this passage in Luke reveals that Jesus is so fully present with people. Luke 8 says, But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that the power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Scripture tells us earlier that this woman had a condition of blood for 12 years and that she had experienced much suffering. When she simply touched the garment of Jesus, she was healed. Now I think that healing for her would have been enough. She would have been more than happy with the physical healing, freedom from her physical suffering. But Jesus knew that she had a deeper need as well. She needed freedom from being a social outcast in the society in which she lived. And his public declaration brought her that. But it cost Jesus time. Time during which he was on his way to the house of a very important official whose daughter dies. But Jesus took the time to listen and to meet her need. And in the end, both the woman and the young girl were restored to life in the ways that they needed. Over the summer before starting graduate school and coming on staff with InterVarsity, I read through a Life Guide devotional by Ruth Goring, and these words practically jumped off the page at me. They're words that I think echo the motives and heart of Jesus, and words that I'd like to live out in my work and in my personal life. She says that your caring should begin with listening, paying attention to discern what the real needs are. I ask some of the 20-somethings that I work with if they would share their biggest questions and fears looking ahead, the greatest barriers to their spiritual growth, and their feelings regarding the church. And I'd like to share some of those with you. 
I'd like you to listen for what the real needs are of each of these children of God as I read through them. Can God heal the brokenness of my past? I don't know about you, but I have seen God take the shattered pieces of my life and bring restoration that I never could have imagined was possible. I feel stuck, like I can't move forward with my life. And can God redeem the generational patterns of sin in my life? I feel that the church pressures me to believe what they state and does not provide me with room to ask questions. The first time a student looked at me and told me they were unsure if they could be honest with me and ask their questions because I was a Christian, I had to stop and think, reflect on where I've fallen short as a church body member, as a campus minister, and as a follower of Jesus to give the people in my life space to ask their questions without judgment or defensiveness, without becoming frustrated. And more times than I'd like to admit, I fall short of leaning into the questions of my colleagues and my friends. And Jesus' heart for them is so much more than that. Students share that they feel that they will never be enough. And I fear that God's love is not true. These are hard fears. And say we all ask these questions, experience these fears no matter what age or season of life we're in. I know I've asked these same questions and have faced these same fears, and I've seen God address them in ways that I would have never expected. We walk through valleys and we stand on mountains, and the beautiful reality is, is that no matter where we're standing, the Lord welcomes our questions, and in fact, I believe he embraces them. So we see all of these questions and all of these fears that students have. So what is InterVarsity doing to address the pandemic of uncertainty that we've been discussing this morning? How are we meeting students and their doubts? We provide Bible study, prayer, discipleship programming, and the opportunity for servant, uh, students to serve on missions trips. As I mentioned at the beginning of our time together, community is a huge goal of InterVarsity. Last week, one of the women I disciple came into our meeting so excited to share with me that over the weekend, she and four other women from InterVarsity had gone on a hot air balloon ride together. They had to wait in line for two hours. She told me they shared stories and they laughed and they played Pictionary in the sand until that became a little bit challenging. Um, and this is what we strive for. We seek to build spaces where community isn't confined to the four walls of our meeting room for two hours of Bible study on Thursday nights. We want it to extend into relationships outside of our gathered time to become students supporting one another on their journey with Jesus. And it was so sweet to see the beginnings of that forming between these young women. I'd like to share a testimony from one of my students and just her thoughts on how InterVarsity has given her space to explore her questions and have genuine community on campus this year. This is what she shared with me. She said, I loved being a part of InterVarsity. It provided a great opportunity to study the Bible in open community. 
I enjoyed the fellowship and community spaces. I have learned through scripture about how very intentional God is, that his word is filled with his beautiful plans articulated in a deliberate and meaningful way. I'm gonna put some photos up on the screen here of some of the undergraduate students that I work with and um, an outreach that I was able to complete for my graduate cohort through the donation of one of my InterVarsity colleagues. The top photos there are some student meetings. Our top left one there is a game night where my students definitely beat me in apples to apples. Um, and in the top right there is our first campus outreach of the spring semester back in January. Um, our students are putting up a number of fingers to indicate how comfortable they are walking up to students on campus to give them cookies um, that has a, have a flyer for InterVarsity in there. Um, bottom left is a clean, fall cleanup day where our students raised money for their serve up spring break trip where they went down and did hurricane relief in New Orleans back in March. And down in the bottom right is a photo of the bags that were brought in for my graduate cohort. Um, as I mentioned, I had a donor who specifically supported outreach within my graduate cohort this semester, um, which was a really sweet opportunity. So those bags are filled with notes of encouragement and some snacks and supplies for when you're sitting in nine to six classes um, on campus. And the sweet interaction I had with a colleague is they came up to me and said, what compelled you to do this? Mm. The love of Jesus, right? But I was able to meet them where they are and say, I just want you to be encouraged and know how loved you are this semester. So being a part of InterVarsity and um, having supporters who um, make all of these programs and opportunities possible has been such a gift. I have a couple more photos for you from a testimony night last week where all of our uh, focus ministries, so our athletic chapter, our ROTC chapter, our grad students and undergrads all gathered together to share about how God has been working and moving in their corners on campus. On the right-hand side is a collage that our students put together at that event, and there are words and short phrases written on those strips of cloth that identify an area where they've seen God move this year. Some of those words are relationships for the UNH field hockey team. And those are just a few, and I'd love to share more of, more of those with you, so if you're interested in hearing more of those testimonies, please do find me afterwards, and I'm Happy to give you some more stories and um, yeah, testimonies from our students. So reflecting on all that we've discussed, I think there are six major takeaways that guide us in building trust in our relationships and meeting those in our lives with trust so that we can continue to encourage them on their journey to Jesus. So the first one is be genuinely curious. Seek to understand others' perspectives and explore with them. Learn to have an unoffendable heart posture. Right? I don't know, for me, sometimes that's a little bit hard. It takes a little bit of checking myself. Um, and tell people who they are and not what they should be doing. And have compassion. 
as we talked about, listen for what the real needs are. They're not always the needs that we can see or we immediately identify. And share testimony. This is a big one. If we can be vulnerable with the people in our lives about sharing, yeah, I've asked those same questions and I've faced those same fears and this is how God met me there. Our 20-somethings really appreciate when we share testimony from our own walk in that season of life and are honest that, yeah, those questions come up for me too and sometimes they still do. So my contact information is gonna come up on the screen. Um, and I'd just like to invite you um, to two opportunities that are directly connected to what I'm doing on campus. I would love if you would prayerfully partner with us for our students and all that they're doing in their academic programs and on their journey to Jesus um, and for our Bible study times and also for our staff teams uh, as we meet together, as we plan curriculum for next year, um, as we disciple students, that we would be faithful to God's call there. I also send out a ministry update and prayer letter monthly um, via email. So if that's something that you'd be interested in receiving, um, some updates of what God's been doing on campus every month, uh, please do reach out to me via email or find me afterwards and I can add you to that. And another opportunity is to financially contribute to InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at UNH. I know I have some ministry partners here, so I just wanted to Thank you for making these opportunities that I've talked about and so many other stories possible um, on our campus this semester. So if anybody has questions about partnership or would like to hear more about InterVarsity, about our students, um, like I said, find me afterwards, send me an email. I'd love to share more with you. Um, thank you. To watch what God has done in this young woman's life is pretty amazing. So we just want to thank God for what God is doing in your life, Becca. And we're just excited for you. Why don't we just pray for Becca as the worship team's coming. We're just going to pray for her. And then she's going to be out at the entranceway. And when you're going out, our, um, our greeters will have some information for about Becca and about what's going on that you could take with you. But I just celebrate the fact that you as a young woman have found your voice and you have found your calling. And we just know that's what God wants for all of us. And so we celebrate that today on this day. But let's pray for her today. Lord, we just want to thank you so much for Becca and her life. We thank you, Lord God, how you've met her in her journey. And we thank you, Lord God, for not only where you met her, but where you're taking her. We ask in Jesus' name that you would just continue to bless her and use her and grow her. And we thank you, Lord God, for the lives that she's imprinting with your love and your grace and your gospel. We commit her into your care today as we celebrate with her. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Becca. You can go ahead and be seated.